Luke chapter 20, getting to read at verse 9. Then began he to speak to the people this parable. A certain man planted a vineyard and led it forth to husbandmen. Went into a far country for a long time. And at the season, he sent a servant to the husbandmen that they should give him of the fruit of the vineyard. But the husbandmen beat him and sent him away empty. And again he sent another servant, and they beat him also and entreated him shamefully. And they sent him away empty. And again he sent a third, and they wounded him also and cast him out. Then said the Lord of the vineyard, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. It may be they will reverence him when they see him. But the husbandmen saw him. When they, the husbandmen saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. What therefore shall the Lord of the vineyard do unto them? He shall come and destroy these husbandmen and shall give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, God forbid. And he beheld him <clears throat> and said, What is this then that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And the chief priests and the scribes, the same are sought to lay hands on him. And they feared the people, for they perceived that he had spoken this parable against them. Keep your Bible open. We're going to do a study tonight entitled, God Forbid. God Forbid. The master is, uh, again, speaking in a parable. And he's actually saying what the Lord had said through the psalmist, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter dark sayings of old. And that's what God did when he came in the person of his son, wrapped and revealed in flesh. Started speaking parables because in God's election there were those who would hear and have ears to hear. There were those who would not. And there were those who would have eyes to see, but they would see physically but not see spiritually. And that's the people that these Pharisees that the Lord's looking at in our story or in our reading. And the Lord is speaking, obviously, of a vineyard. The story is he sends uh, servants to the vineyard and they mistreat the servants that come. There are three are mentioned there, obviously, but we'll show you there were far more, but the Lord is just mentioning this in a parable of these, vineyard, these servants coming to the vineyard. And they were treated miserably. They didn't receive the fruit of the vineyard and they were beaten or cast out of the vineyard. The Lord says, yeah, I know the Lord, the Lord of the vineyard or the owner of the vineyard says, I'll send my son they'll reverence him. And the Lord is speaking of himself coming to the vineyard. They'll reverence him, but of course, uh, they said, this is the year, let us kill him. Speaking of his crucifixion when he would be nailed to the tree. Okay, So basically, that's it in a little nutshell, but we're going to really, I want to take you somewhere tonight, and you're going to read a lot of Bible. And what you're going to do is you're going to see history. You're going to see this opened up. And what I want you to see is even symbolic language coming to life for you. And let's just open our, our hearts to the word. 
And you'll see that when you're looking at the Bible, and people say, you know, someone says to me the other day about, um, I was actually at the door on Sunday, and it said about uh, Paul talking about the scriptures. I said, you know what the scriptures were which Paul talked about? He says, yeah, well, it's the book of Romans. I says, no, the scriptures we have is now contains all that. But the scriptures then was the Old Testament. Because that's all there was. The gospels uh, were either weren't written or being written. And the letters weren't written or being written until they were written, obviously. And, and that comprises our 66 books. But what the scriptures that the, that, that, the, that the Lord Jesus refers to, the scriptures that Paul refers to or Peter refers to, all harkens back to the old covenant. And then through Christ we have into the new covenant. And some people tend to think when we get to the New Testament, it's like a mystical book completely separate from uh, the Old Testament. But it's not. It continues on and explains the Old Testament. shows the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And so that's why when you draw from the new, when you understand what, what you're drawing from, it completely changes the, the word in your understanding of the whole thesis and understanding of the whole history of it. So whenever we're looking at this, look at what it says in verse 16. It says, he shall come and destroy these husbandmen. There's something you're not hearing of. He's going to destroy them. I never said this. The Lord Jesus said this. And who were the husbandmen here he's speaking of? We're going to look at that. Some will be saved, some will be blessed, but some will be destroyed. He shall destroy these husbandmen and shall give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, God forbid. So we're going to look at God forbid, okay? And the term here, God forbid, it gives the idea of, it's a strong word. Uh, and it gives the idea of, uh, away with such a thought. Away with such a thought. Or never let it be so said, someone once put it. These Pharisees and Jewish leaders are going away with such a thought in giving this vineyard to someone else. Never let it be so sad giving the vineyard to someone else. And it was very strong, Adam. And that's why then they perceived he's speaking about us. He's talking about us. Jesus is talking about us. So you can see why they hated him. But little did they realize if they had to listen to the parable, had eyes to see and ears to hear, what would have happened? They had to realize the vineyard, the servants, and I'll show you that in a moment, the servants, and then himself comes. This is the son. And he's saying, you're saying, let us kill him. And they're going right along with what the word is instead of seeing themselves and what Christ is saying. And many of us really and truly and honestly know when God speaks to our hearts sometimes, and we know the Lord's speaking to us, but it's always for somebody else. And many of us have ears to hear me do here. We still don't uh, do what we should or react as we should or be like we should. So here the term is away with such a thought or never let it be so said. Or as you and I would say in little old Ulster, get away that way. That's what I say, get away that way. Never let it be so said. That's the strength of it. Nor is the wouldn't entertain even such a thought. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. A 
couple of things I want you to look at here. And now this is, you might say, well, where is he going with this? This is going to be important for later on in this uh, study that we're doing. Matthew 21. And just for time's sake, let's see. Let your eye run down to verse um, 28. But what think ye? A certain man had two sons. He came to the first and said, Son, go work today in, in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, Likewise, and the second answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Whether of them twain did the will of his father, they said unto him, The first. Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not, but the publicans and the harlots believed him, and ye, when ye had seen it, repented not afterwards, that ye might believe him. Now there's two sons mentioned here. And the Lord's given it the like of the, those who are hearing and those who are not hearing. But two sons in scriptures go further than that in scripture. And it's prophetic and it's a prophetic key for us. And it relates also, you can find two sons mentioned, of course, we know, um, in Luke's gospel again. We'll not turn to it just for time's sake because we all, well, we all should know the story in Luke chapter 15 of the prodigal son, as we call the story, the elder brother and the younger brother, the prodigal son takes his inheritance from his father, spends it in riotous living, ends up in a pig pen. Now we know that's representing, and there's nothing wrong with preaching a message to a backslider. You've taken what you've had, and you've spent into the world, and you've spent your, your living, as it were, but you're still the son of the father. Why don't you come back home? For he, he, he catches himself on, he picks himself up, and he brings himself home. And so there's nothing wrong with that. But that actually happened in a national aspect as well. The two sons represent history from the Old Testament. So Jesus is plucking from this. And he's taken from it. I'll show you it in a moment. But here's two sons again. And again, he's saying, there's ones who are saying, work in my vineyard. And he says, I won't go. But he walks away and then he repents and starts to work in the vineyard. And the other one says, I will, but doesn't do it. The one who repented and turned again is the one who was justified. Isn't that right? That's what the Lord's saying here. And again, if you're taking two sons, and we look at these two in Old Testament again, brought through into the gospel. We're going to look at that in a little minute. So if you can imagine two sons and keep it in your mind. Whenever you go to our reading in Luke 20 and verse 16 again, when they said, God forbid, remember, he shall come and destroy these husbandmen and shall give the vineyard unto others. And when they heard it, they said, God forbid. You know what this was? This was a symbol of the elder brother thinking he's losing something to the younger brother this was uh, this is one of the sons saying I will go but doesn't do the will of his father but one has been cast away and says I, I won't go but then does the will of his father so they're saying, hold on, I'm one of the, we're one of the brothers as in the, the, the Jewish uh, people, nation, or the remnant of Judah uh, are, that are there at this time. And they're looking because their brother is gone. Who's their brother? Their brother's Joseph. 
Now, not that Joseph, who's put in a pit and given a coat and many colors, put in a pit and all that. Not that Joseph, but his uh, name became a, a banner name for the northern kingdom. And they became known as one son. And the Judah Jews became known as the southern kingdom. They became the other son. And the, other, the northern kingdom or the ten tribe kingdom were cast away. They were sent out and cast away. We're going to look at that in a little minute as well. Isaiah, uh, I'll tell you what, stay where you are there. Are you still in Matthew, please? Stay, stay, stay in Matthew 21. Uh, while we're here, I'll see if time can back to it. And let's read verse um, 33 then. Now notice this. He's now looking at the Judah brother or the, the Jewish brother, if you want, the Jew brother, okay? The elder brother of the Luke 15 parable. Here another parable. There was a certain householder which had planted a vineyard. Now notice the symbology here, a vineyard again. And hedged it round about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. And when the time of the first fruit, the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandmen took his servants and beat one and killed another, stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. But last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. This is now they cast the son out of the vineyard and slew him. When the Lord therefore of the vineyard cometh, what will he do to these husbandmen? And they said unto him, he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen which shall render the first, render him fruits in their seasons. Jesus saith unto him, did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Now take note of this. Therefore, I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. When the chief priests and Pharisees had heard his parables, they perceived that he spake of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. Notice what there is. There's a vineyard again. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's Matthew's account of basically the same parable of Luke 20. The vineyard again. And here when we have the vineyard again, it says there's a tower in it. The tower represented the house of David that was in it. This is where the kingly line of Judah would come from. The house of David, and of course from there would come the Lord Jesus himself. So when he's talking about the tower in it, he's talking about uh, the, the, the servants being sent, and the servants that were sent, in all, both of these parables, or these accounts, were the prophets in the Old Testament. Send prophets to you, and you cast them out. We send prophets to you, we think of Isaiah. We think of Jeremiah. These were more prophets. Isaiah um, was a little after the deportation of the house of Israel in the north. But when you think of um, Isaiah, 
uh, his prophecy was toward Judah at times. And Jeremiah, we read of Jeremiah. And Daniel was around this time as well. And Ezekiel was around this time. They made reference in some of them to the northern house, which was away, but mainly those were to the these, uh, house of Judah or the Jews. That's where you get the name Jew from, from Judah. So whenever you're looking at this, we're looking now that the Lord has come, he sent the Son, and they cast him out. You know, and the book of Hebrews tells us that they crucified the Lord Jesus outside the gate. Outside with a rubbish dump, was I spoke off on Sunday night. They, they crucified him outside the gate. So what they were saying was, this man is worthy of nothing but rubbish and awful. The innards of the animal. They crucified him outside the gate. And so the Lord said this to him, and he says, listen, if this stone, if you fall on it in repentance, you may be broken. You may have to look at your your uh, your sacrifices and throw them out and say, oh, we're, we're finished here, we're wrong. Your traditions of men, your Talmudism, which had come into their teaching from Babylon. And he said, you may, you'll have to get rid of all that, and you'll be a broken man. You may feel you've lost everything. But what you're losing you fall on the stone, you may be broken, but if it falls on you, you'll be crushed. So which one is it you want? Do you want to fall on me and be broken for me to remake you? Or do you want the weight that I come in judgment and crush you? And that's what the Lord's saying here. You've rejected me as the head cornerstone here. And this cornerstone is actually the foundation. So you can see the, the symbology of this, Okay. Everybody's with me all right in this. Can you see that? Okay, so when he's talking like the, like this, then if you go to Isaiah chapter 5, Isaiah chapter 5, and we'll just lift a couple of verses to show you about this vine, the vineyard, and show you the link from the Old Testament into the New. Isaiah chapter 5. Now will I sing to my well-beloved, the song of my beloved, touching his vineyard. Okay? Touching his vineyard. My beloved hath a vineyard and a very fruitful hill. And he fenced it. Remember the Lord said about the hedge around about it? Notice. He fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it. And also made a wine press therein and he looked that it should bring forth grapes or fruit as the Lord is saying and that brought forth wild grapes they were bitter, couldn't eat them they weren't real grapes, good grapes and now O O heavens of Jerusalem and men of Judah judge I pray you betwixt me and my vineyard what could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it Wherefore, when I look that it should bring forth grapes, it brought forth wild grapes. And now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the heads thereof, and that shall be eaten up, and break down the walls thereof, and it shall be trodden down, and I will let waste, and it shall not be pruned nor digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns, I will also command the clouds that they rain, that they rain no rain upon it. 
For, notice this, the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. The house of Israel was the northern kingdom. Now, I notice the separation here. And the men of Judah, that's the southern kingdom where Jerusalem is, the men of Judah, his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, but behold, oppression for righteousness, but behold, a cry. I notice here he says, what will I do to my vineyard? This place where I've planted you as a vine. Whenever we think of the Lord Jesus in uh, John chapter 15, I am the true vine and my father is a husbandman or the gardener. And he says, if you abide in me, he says, I'll abide in you and you'll bring forth fruit. Because they weren't at this time. The, house of, the, the Jews weren't bringing forth, or Judah wasn't bringing forth fruit. But here at this time in Isaiah, this is about 740 BC. And Isaiah's looking, but prophecy, and he's saying, see the house of Israel, they're already gone. See what's happened. I've taken the hedge away. But see Judah, Judah were still going on in the ways of the Lord, the southern kingdom. He says, you're a pleasant plant to me. But you know what happened? Judah went the same way. And the Lord says, now I'll stand back. What more can I do? Look what I've done. I've poured myself into you. I've given you things. See when he says I've pulled out stones. That means he took out the heathen for them. And he threw them. He's thrown out all the rubbish for them. And he's given them good land. Flown them milk and honey. You know the, the promised land and the pleasant land and all. His own land that he had already ordained. And he says what more will I do for you? You'll not be pruned. You'll not be digged. In other words you'll not turn over the soil. Basically you know off you go. And Nebuchadnezzar then came and took away the house of Judah in the Babylon. And that's when you read again of Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego in the fiery furnace and Daniel in the lion's den. That's when you read of those Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. And here's a strange thing in, in Daniel chapter 2 in the interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. You know I've done some Sundays on it. The mom with the head of gold and the silver and the brass and the iron and the iron and the clay feet. And there's a stone that's cut out without hands and it smashes the feet and all those kingdoms fall with it. So this actually shows the stone that comes will crush the powder. All who are not in Christ. But the Lord's looking initially at this remnant here, this people that are left. And in Isaiah he's saying, look, you're my well-beloved, you're my vineyard, and you've let me down, you've went after other lovers, and now Judah, the southern kingdom's a pleasant plant, and it's still going on, and the kings of Judah were doing well. You had like a Jehoshaphat and Josiah and Hezekiah, they were all uh, good kings as men can be good, tried to do their best before the Lord. They were reformers and, and, and uh, putting down the, the, uh, the idolatrous worship, but some of them left, you know, there'd be tiny bits on the outside that people could sneak off to. They didn't destroy everything. And those little foxes spoiled the vine. Those little foxes had a way out and eventually it all collapsed. So whenever we're looking here, you see the Lord Jesus. Now, the, the Jews were released from Babylon. They came in to build the other temple. And when they came to build it, you read of Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, Esther remains in Babylon. That's when you read of Esther and Mordecai. And Haman, who goes to uh, uh, try and kill them and slay all the Jews, you know, and then Esther goes before the king and so on. You'll read all of that still in Babylon. But there's these, the, the, this about 42,000 come out, and all together is just about 49,000 of Judah, the tribe of Judah, 
Benjamin and some of Levi. You don't read of one other tribe. Not one other tribe do you read coming out with that group in the book of Nehemiah, nor the book of Ezra, nor the book of Esther, because they were comprised of southern kingdom. The northern kingdom are gone. They were away. So the Lord says, I'll bring you back after 70 years. That happened, and they, uh, they built the temple, and then, you know the story, there's a whole, uh, you have the story then whenever you go into uh, the Haggai and, and Micah and they're building their temple and they're, they're building their houses well and they're looking after themselves and they're, 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 the Lord's house was, had untempered mortar on it and it's fallen down around them. They weren't, uh, in other words, they weren't ministering to God but ministering to themselves and he had blessed them. And that's when you read all those sort of books and uh, has a, uh, Haggai and, uh, and, uh, and Micah and all those sort of books coming out. So then whenever you, whenever you come then, you come on up to the end time prophecies uh, coming into Zechariah and so on. And then, of course, you have the 400 years gap uh, after uh, the last book of Malachi. What's known as a 400 years gap. And you have the wars of the Jews and the Maccabees. And there's all revolts. There's an odd mixture comes in. And the Jews mix themselves up with all the different. The, the Hasmonean Empire and all. It's a big story. I'm not going into it. But there's so many of them. They all mix themselves up. And there's a very few who are true remnant Judahites. By the time the Lord comes with the Babylonian teachings. that come out called what's known as the Talmud. And they mix it with the Torah. Or the five books of Moses, and they mixed it with the prophets, and they put on all these traditions of men washing of pots and pans, and you know you weren't allowed if you had a sore throat, you were allowed to gargle, or you were allowed to rinse your mouth with a vinegar wine, but not gargle because then you were working on the Sabbath and all these silly things, and that's why they challenged the Lord in all of these. There was around six hundred and thirteen commandments of man to keep for salvation, they believed. So when Christ comes, he says, search the scriptures from them, you think you have eternal life, but those are they which testify of me. So now he's come to this part of the vineyard, uh, the tower has come down, there's no, there's no uh, uh, house of David there, except for the tribe of Judah, but no actual family there, no kingship there. And the Lord comes on and he says, you're doing it again. You're doing it again. Turn with me to you see what he says in Luke 13. And remember what he says in Isaiah chapter 5 about, the Lord says, you're not, what about, there's no one to dig you and to prune you and all this sort of stuff. So keep that in your mind. Turn to Luke chapter 13. And let's read from Verse 1. Let's read from verse 1. Let me get a drink. There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Now let me just stop for a brief second there. Uh, I'm told that there's no historical record of that. But we've got our biblical record, so that proves it truer than man's record. Anyhow, almost every one of our Lord's disciples were from Galilee. Because believe that most, 
if you go into the prophecies of, of Jacob Israel when he was dying, he prophesied over the youngest son, Benjamin. We'll look at Benjamin in a moment. And said he would crouch between two shoulders. Do you know where Benjamin's territory was? The northern kingdom and the southern kingdom and his was right in the middle. He crouched between them. And when there was war between the Jews and Israel, actually, you'll read the wars of between the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And when there was war there, and even at the time before, King, when King David was king in Judah, they wanted to make him king of all Israel. It was young Benjamin who'd done the intermediary. He was like an intercessor between the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So that tribe done that. So Benjamin was the youngest son, his family, they were there and they done that. And so you see there's an intercessory movement there. There's a light shining. Keep that in your mind, okay? So the Galileans were mostly Benjamites who had came out from with, with uh, the house of Judah and moved northward through time. That's why you're told the Lord walked in Galilee, but he wouldn't walk in Jury, J-E-W-R-Y, because they got stronger the more south you went and towards Jerusalem. They got stronger there and more dense in their own theology and population and strength. You know, you know what I'm saying? It becomes more of a, a, a Jewish stronghold, if you want. And although they were up there, they weren't as strong. And these Benjaminites, they're more pliable. It's believed Bethany was a lot of Benjaminites had moved down there as well. That's why the Lord could stay there right side of Jerusalem before and the week of his crucifixion. It's believed that that was a lot of Benjaminites down there. Anyhow, when you talk about the Galileans, it's possible that Pilate took these Benjaminites and killed a lot of them and mingled their blood. So it shows you, a lot of people say, poor Pilate, he's left in a dilemma. Whom will he that I release unto you? Um, and he brings forth Barabbas, and he brings forth Jesus. Jesus, which is called Christ, or Barabbas, now Barabbas was a robber. Who do you want me to release? And the crowds cry, away with him, Jesus, crucify him, crucify him. And it's like, there you see, Pilate's repented, he's washed his hands. Pilate could never wash his hands of Christ. Because it shows you the heart. See, God is justified in everything he does. He's always just. And here we see Pilate mentioned here that he was so cruel and wicked at one point. He took the blood and he took their altars and he crushed down, uh, well, it was a Benjamin altars or what sort of altars were, we don't know. But he crushed it in England and he made them drink it. Their own people's blood. So that shows you the heart of Pilate. So don't let people, some people believe, oh, Pilate must have got saved. <laughs> Pilate didn't repent. Pilate was just trying to get off the hook because his wife said he had, she had a bad dream. <coughs> Notice this. Verse 2. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all Galileans because they suffered such things. I tell you, nay. But except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Or the eighteen upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them. Think ye that ye were, they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay. But except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. So he said to them, you know what? <laughs> this didn't happen to them because they were so bad a people. He's bringing these people who are so religious, who are so uh, full of pride, self-righteous, uh, and they're looking the part and doing all their ceremony, and they're, but they've got all this Talmudism in them. And he's saying, 
do you think this is what makes you righteous? Do you think they're worse than you? He says, see, if you don't repent, you'll perish too. And it shows you that none of us have a corner on salvation. None of us have a corner on salvation. Unless we all repent, we'll all likewise perish too. But notice here now he goes into a parable. Remember Isaiah 5, the vineyard, (coughs) the pruning, the digging, and so on. Remember this. Verse 6, and he spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. And said to the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto them, Lord, let it alone this year also till I dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit well, and if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath day. So notice who he's, where he is. He's in a synagogue. Who's he teaching then? He's teaching the Jews. Now, he mentions instead, he mentions the vineyard, but he mentions the fig tree. It's a little bit different. The vineyard was the house of Israel, but it was the whole of Israel in the sense of, I mean, Judah, the Jews were part of the whole 12 tribes of the house of Judah when all mingled together or as one nation. You know what I'm saying? Here he's mentioning a fig tree. Why a fig tree? Because the fig tree in the book of Jeremiah after the house of Israel were taken, became the one uh, resembled figs. Jeremiah, remember the parable of the good figs and the bad figs? And the good figs were the cream, if you want, the intelligentsia, uh, the aristocracy, the high and lofty of, of the Jews that were taken into Babylon first. And there were those who wouldn't obey the word of the Lord and those who had admixtured themselves. And Jeremiah says, there are those who are good figs. There are those who are bad figs. Revelation chapters 2 and 3, the Lord Jesus mentions those who say they are Jews and they're not, but are the synagogue of Satan. You can't just paint everyone that says he's a Jew and believe him for what he says. You see? It's because there's different... I mean, it's like saying... It's like when someone looks at us and, and our nation generally say, oh, they're all Christians. Like um, uh, Someone from Islam could look and say, look at that Christian nation, and they're getting up the all sorts of saying, that's not Christianity. They're not Christians. But they might live in a nominal, if you want, Christian country. And the same here goes for the Jews. In fact, most of the Jews today are secular. They don't even believe in God. The vast majority of them. But anyway, this is then. Let's go back to then, okay? Notice this. He says it's a fig tree. Do you remember in the in the week where our Lord was getting into from Bethany and he was going into uh, Jerusalem? People think he went in once. He went in three times, in and out three times that week. And whenever he went in one of the times, he went to get fruit on the fig tree, do you remember? It wasn't there. He cursed it. Now sometimes, again, we think of... Some people think a fig tree like a gooseberry bush or, or a fig tree like a, like a, a blackberry bush or something. A fig tree can grow up to 15 to 20 or bigger, feet tall. They're big, big trees. As in, you know, they're not really small bushes. Some have said they've seen them up to 30 feet tall. 
Whenever you go to the prophet Amos, Amos was in the house of Judah. He lived in the southern kingdom. And he came to the northern kingdom to preach the word. And he says that he was a gatherer of sycamore fruit and ate of the figs. <laughs> and it was basically like a poor man's dad. But it would have been a good, you know. It would have been a good dad. As in the sense that it would have been healthy. And he came from Judah. There's the fig represented again. He comes up north. And that's when you read Amos chapter 4 and verse 12. Prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. Okay? Because the Lord was uh, going around all these heathen nations around and holding them all back and they're slaying them in, 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 in battle and the Lord's doing all these wonders for them and they just kept sinning and sinning. So the Lord says, you know, I've done this with this nation and that nation. Read chapter 4 of Amos when you go home. I've done this to this nation and that nation and the other nation and then he says, now prepare to meet thy God of Israel. It's different when it hits your door. It's different when it comes to your door. And isn't it different even, uh, isn't it strange that um, I was talking to somebody this week. I don't want to mention her name because I'm on recording. But you know who I mean. And, and they've uh, a loved one very, very ill with cancer at the moment. And the sadness is, hey, you don't realize what people go through until it hits your door. And you go, this doesn't happen to my family. This doesn't happen to us. I says, I know. But when it's at your door, it's bad. And you sympathize. See, when it hits your door, the reality of it. And that's what the Lord was saying. Where do you see the reality of me when I come in judgment in you? And what happened? He took the northern kingdom away. So now the Lord is at the fig tree. And there's nothing there. He curses it. And Peter says, behold, the fig tree is withered up. And that represented what was going to happen to the vineyard, to the fig tree here. Now in this parable... He says, the Lord says, why is it cumbering the ground? Dig it up, cast it out of the road. And the gardener, the vine dresser, the, the gardener says, let it alone this year, Lord. He's come three years. This is the Lord saying, I've been here three years preaching to you. I've been here three years prophesying to you. Telling you parables. Showing you my power and miracle, saying, wonder. I've been doing great things among you. I've been feeding your hungry. I've been telling you of the kingdom of God. I've been telling you about a heaven to gain and the hell to shun. All of these things. He says, and I've been doing this to this place for three years. I say, the father says, I'll destroy it. Put it up with the roots. He says, Lord, let it alone this year. And I'll dig it. What did Isaiah, he says, what will I do with you in Isaiah 5? I'll tell you what, I'm going to dig you one more time. I'm going to show grace to you once more. I'm going to have a fountain opened in the house of David for sin and uncleanness. Leave it alone one year. And if it bears fruit well, and if not, then pluck it up. And it didn't bear fruit, and in the midst of that year, which is the midst of Daniel's 70 week prophecy, it's not away in the future, it's already happened. The Lord was cut off for our transgressions. So, the Jews had a rude awakening in AD 70 and Titus, the Roman prince, comes in, destroys the temple. Fulfills Jesus when Jesus said, the prophecy when he says, 
see this great temple, not one stone will be left upon another. They set fire to it, and the gold was, there was heavy gold work around the temple, and it melted with the heat of the fire, went down through the big stones. And Titus came, he ordered, he says, take one stone off from on top of another, and hook out the gold. And they got tons of gold. It says apparently the gold in it was phenomenal. And they took all the gold out, it was melted and ran down through the bricks. And that's why Jesus says, not one stone will be left upon another. The Lord says, I will tear up this root. And the Jews were dispersed. Isn't it tremendous? So, I want to look at a few, one or two other things, and then we'll wrap it up. God forbid they're crying to the Lord, who's going to take this vineyard over? God forbid. And then when we looked again, he says, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. Who is it? I'll tell you who the nation was. It was their other brother who had been cast away. The house of Israel. But how would he get it? Because he's away in the pig pen. You know, like the prodigal son. Simple. I'll send forth my gospel. I'll send forth my gospel. I'll send forth my word. Turn with me, you see, 1 Kings 11. 1 Kings chapter 11. Have we look at these two brothers just for a moment? The prophecy in this is powerful. Absolutely. I'll be honest, this thrills me. <clears throat> Absolutely thrills me. You see God's plan and purpose. 1 Kings chapter 11. And just let your eye run down to verse 29. And it came to pass that this, at that time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah the Shilonite found him in the way and he had clad himself with a new garment and they too were alone in the field. And Ahijah caught the new garment that was on him and rent it in twelve pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, Take thee ten pieces. For thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will rend the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give thee ten tribes. Stop. Pause for a minute. Jeroboam was Solomon's servant. One of his chief servants. Ahijah meets him in the way of prophet, takes his garment off, rents it in twelve pieces, gives him ten, keeps two back. His new coats ripped to bits. He says, I'm going to rent the kingdom, notice, out of Solomon, from the house of David, Solomon was David's son, out of Solomon's hand, and I'm giving this to you. Okay? Now notice this. Verse 32, but he said, but he shall have one tribe for my servant David's sake. Now take note, this is very important. He shall have one tribe for my servant David's sake and for Jerusalem's sake, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, because they have forsaken me and have worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and Chemosh, the god of the Moabites, and Milcom, the god of the children of Ammon, and have not walked in my ways to do that which is right in mine eyes, and to keep my statutes and my judgments as did David his father. How be it? 
I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, but I will make him prince all the days of his life for David, my servant's sake, whom I choose because he kept my commandments and my statutes. statutes. But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand. This is out of Solomon's son's hand, who, who was Rehoboam, okay? I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand and will give it unto thee even ten tribes. And unto his son will I give one tribe that David, my servant, may have a light always before me in Jerusalem, the city, which I have chosen me to put there, to put my name there. And I will take thee and thou shalt reign according to all that thy soul desireth and shall be king over Israel. Now just stop there for a moment. Here's your 12. I'm keeping one which represents Judah, David's tribe. Jesus will come from this one. And there's going to be one to stand by him. One more piece of cloth, one more tribe. That tribe becomes Benjamin. Benjamin, okay? And so the two of them come together to know, and some of Levi said they had no inheritance. They had the tithe. That was their inheritance. And the southern kingdom then had, uh, became known as the house of Judah, or the Jews later, okay? So what he's saying here is, they have the kingly lineship, but you're going to have the kingdom. Take ten tribes. Uh, Jeroboam, turn over to the next chapter just quickly. Jeroboam and some of the, the Israelites come to Rehoboam, Solomon's son, when he's reigning. Your taxes are too heavy. Your treatment is too harsh. It's just like today, you know. You know, you're, all these political parties we're going to do this, and we're going to cut bedroom tax. We're going to do. But they come and says your taxes are too heavy. You're being too harsh. Uh, Rehoboam goes and says to the young men of his council, "What do you think? Ah, uh, you tell them that uh, you're 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 going to lash them with scorpions, and you tell them you're going to come down even heavier on them if they don't behave themselves, and all that sort of stuff." And he goes to the older men. And they say, "You take it easy on the people." But young Rehoboam, you know, I'm going to just go ramstam, doesn't use the wisdom of it. And so a separation comes, and this is where the rented garment comes in. Now look at First uh, Kings 12, and let's write on down to verse 16. So when all Israel saw that the king hearkened not unto them, the people answered the king, saying, What portion have we in David? Neither have we inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel, now see to thine own house, David. So Israel departed to their tents. But as for the children of Israel, which dwelt in the cities of Judah, Rehoboam reigned over them. So there were those who had stayed around that area behind. Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was over the tribune, and all Israel stoned him with stones, that he died. Therefore, King Rehoboam made speed to get him up to his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel rebelled against the house of David unto this day. And it came to pass when all Israel heard that Jeroboam was come again, that they sent and called him unto the, congreg- unto the congregation and made him king over all Israel. 
there was none that followed the house of David but the tribe of Judah only. So this is David's family, the kingly line. Judah stayed. That's where his tribe was. And when Rehoboam was come to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah, notice, with the tribe of Benjamin. And hundred and four score thousand chosen men, which were warriors to fight against the house of Israel, to bring the kingdom again to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. But the word of God came unto Shemaiah, the man of God, saying, Speak unto Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Ye shall not go up nor fight against your brethren, the children of Israel. Return every man to his house, for this thing is from me. And they hearkened, therefore, to the word of the Lord, and returned to depart according to the word of the Lord. So there's a separation. Judah and Benjamin, all the rest of Israel together. Jeroboam is now king in Israel. He has his capital city in Samaria. And of course, Rehoboam, the the grandson of of David, son of Solomon, has his in, in Jerusalem. And so two lines of kings come out. And they become known as two sons. Two sons. That, that is the, 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 two, the two kingdoms become known as two sons. And so then the first kingdom sends and carried away. That's the vineyard that's planted. And what the Lord does later on actually, he actually takes the birthright of it and he gives it to Joseph. The northern kingdom became known as the house of Joseph. Became known as Ephraim. And there was tribes at that name. But this is what overall banner name for them, if you want. Became known as the house of Joseph. Became known as the house of Ephraim, or Ephraim. Obviously the house of Israel. It became known as Samaria, after its capital city. Usually it talks of Samaria, but it can mean the whole northern kingdom. And when you're reading prophecy, or when you're reading what the Lord's saying in the Old Testament, like of even Elijah and Elisha there, and Amos and Hosea, is a brilliant book about it. You talk about Ephraim as a backsliding heifer. You know, uh, um, uh, Ephraim is a silly dove without heart. I'm not talking about a man there or even a tribe. They're talking about the whole of the northern kingdom here. That's who he's prophesying to. And so they sin and they're carried away, scattered, and they come across the Caucasus and through into the west, into Europe, and so on. Now notice, the southern kingdom of Judah is still here, and then they're carried away later into Babylon, as we said earlier. So here's the two sons. And now at the time when the Lord comes, the elder brother, the Jew, says, hold on a minute, another gospel. About the other son. You're going to bring him in another way? Can you see the two sons? And the gospel goes. Now see, he says here in 1 Kings 11, I would give Benjamin and 12 with Judah, and he'd be a light before David always. Benjamin means son of my right hand or son of my strength. But Benjamin, the tribe, became known as the light bearing tribe. Now remember what I says. The prophecy was he would be in between the shoulders, two great shoulders, the house of Judah, the house of Israel, the north. Benjamin's territory was in between. And Benjamin done intermediary when David became king of Judah to bring David to be king over all Israel. So that light was going to the northern kingdom. Now, in our Lord's day, the northern kingdom is gone. What is he going to do? The Lord comes looking to his vineyard. The fig tree 
is now being preached to for three years, three and a half years. It doesn't receive him no fruit, as in nationally speaking. And what does he do? He says, the kingdom of God will be taken from you, given to a nation, bring the forth the fruits thereof. What are we going to do? Take the tribe, the light-bearing tribe of the Galileans, fill them with the Spirit, and send them forth in the Word. Paul says, I am an Israelite. I'm a Jew, but I'm an Israelite. Judy is religion. A Benjaminite is tribe. An Israelite to his nationality. I'm a Hebrew, he says. I'm a Benjaminite. You know what he was? He says, I'm going forth to where? The Gentiles. So when he goes forth preaching the word, he goes forth to gentilized Israel on the Gentiles in general. <laughs> and that's the light going out of the gospel. So now the Jews say, hold on a minute. We have the truth. We have the Torah. We have this. No, we have all this stuff. We have the wailing wall. We have all that. And the Lord's going, uh-uh. There's been a fountain open. That's how you come. You see it now coming together? It's tremendous, isn't it? The fountain open. So now you understand why they, they go to the Lord. He says he'll give the vineyard to another in Luke's Gospel 20 and verse 16. They go, God forbid, never let it be so said. Get away that way, in other words. That's why they're so vehement about this. Because he spoke of them. You shall come under judgment. You come. See, I had a gospel. I mean, even in the book of Romans. See, if you go, I'll do this just briefly because time's went away. See, when you go through the New Testament, you have to think, who are they speaking to? They're just speaking to some sort of hogwash, get together, uh, pagan heathenisms, or people with heathen. And a lot of them had pagan and heathen backgrounds. And all. But see, the core of them, they either came from a Hebrew, Israelite, or a Jewish background. I had to. Let me show you one or two wee examples. And there's, do you know there's uh, 15 God forbids in the New Testament? Now, obviously, we can't do them, you know, but there's 15 of them. And one of the speaks of Paul speaks about uh, uh, has, God, uh, has God cast away his people and forgotten them? But he says, God forbid. Never let it be so sad. He's sending forth his word. Now, notice this. Um, just for uh, just for a wee bit of sideline as we close, turn with me to First Corinthians, chapter ten, and let's think about this in a sensible manner here. Who's he writing to? Obviously, he's writing to Corinthians. Okay, chapter ten, verse one. Moreover, brethren, I would not have you. I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers. We're under the cloud and passed through the sea. And we're all baptized under Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all did eat the same spiritual meat. And all did drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of the spiritual rock and that, they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Now you and I looking at that in the year 2015. Knowing the scriptures, reading them, loving them, studying them, we go, it's not fantastic what the Lord did. Brought them through the Red Sea. Now you go back 2,000 years. There's no television. There's no books. There's no radio. There's none of that. 
And miles and miles away, there's a group here, and they're meant to know what Paul's talking about. And they came from some heathen pagan background. Moreover, brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant that how all that all are fathers. Whose fathers? He says, our fathers. Who are you writing to, Paul? Do you mean just Paul, like our fathers, my father? Is Paul saying, well, it's just mine, not yours? Or is he writing to them, our fathers, possibly? You see what I mean? Your fathers and mine. Those who are, were scattered later. Because they didn't have any TVs. They didn't have news bulletins. They didn't have walkie-talkies even, you know. They had to have some sort of tradition even of hearing about Moses going through the Red Sea with the Israelites. Because they wouldn't have knew. When you go to Galatians 4, we're not going to tonight, Paul talks about those who are under the law. He starts speaking about Abraham. How do you know about Abraham if you've if you, you'd never read about him. I mean, how shall I hear without a preacher? How do you know about this? Do you see what I'm saying? So there had to be someone from that sort of background, or a nucleus of them, or all of them, or a certain amount of them, from that background to be able to say, let me tell you what this means. Had to be, because they would have said, it's like me telling you a story that happened to me in the past and expecting you to understand it. Who's ever heard the story of, of, of Red River? I knew you have, wasn't it? And Blood River, it's known as... Who's ever heard the story of Blood River? So if I tell you the story of Blood River, you won't understand it. Blood River, there was a group of Boers in South Africa. And these, now Afrikaans as they're known now, but they, these Boers went, were down in South Africa... And Zulu tribes surrounded them. There's only a wee, a wee group of them. And they'd done the old, get the wagons around, and they'd hardly any ammunition. They had enough, and they just no hope. And the Lord done an actual miracle. It's actually a big statue down there today, you can see it. I haven't, I've seen pictures of it, I've been there. And of friends there who've told me about it. But they were fighting away. They'd just been overrun. There's thousands of them, thousands and thousands of them. And every one of them believed the scriptures, and they opened it up, and they said, Lord, what you have done for Israel, we believe we, your people, do it today. And the Lord scattered the whole lot of them. He just all turned. They couldn't come overcome them. Couldn't even group of them. Thousands of them. And so they set this up, uh, a big statue called the Blood River. So if I hadn't told you, you'd do nothing about that. And in fact, I don't know all the ins and outs of it. I'm just giving you a summary of it. So how would they know it? How would they know in Galatians chapter 4 about Abraham? You have to think like that. All our fathers passed through the sea. But what are you talking about? That's if they're all paganized and he's only been there, preached for a while, taught them the gospel and moved on again. What do you mean, Paul? Through the book of Romans. Book of Romans, the election of grace and the remnant called out among our people. What are you talking about? I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. The word can mean nations. You know, I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. And there's a, 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 and uh, he talks about the law and then grace. Hold on, Paul. What law? I'm not an Israelite. What law? I don't understand what you mean, Paul. 
Do you get what I'm saying? So there had to be someone there, or an amount there, or all of them, I don't know. But there had to be a, a core, or a, a lot of them there, who knew the law of God. While they were dispersed from Jewry, or whether they were ancient Israel who had tradition, and they knew the stories of Moses coming through the Red Sea with the Israelites. How would they know that? There's loads of these in the New Testament, by the way. I just wanted to throw that out there. So whenever they're talking about God forbid, when you read that, that Paul talks about the law, all these God forbids, and he's saying, God forbid that I should boast save in the cross of Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ. Why is that, Paul? Never let it be so said. Because I have already been through that line of the law. I've been under that and God has saved me from under that. What law, Paul? So you see, see, what, see what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Maybe, you know, it's things like this that I like to bring out, but you don't really hear in a lot of places. Let me think, right enough. Never heard that before. It's the, the gospel... The wonder of the gospel and the simplicity is that Christ died for our sins. And we praise him for that. But see if you look at the big picture that God had throughout the ages. You just see his sovereignty is written all over it. You're saying, Lord, you're just amazing. You're absolutely amazing. And his word comes alive and is proven to be true in every single thing that he does. God forbid I might do, I don't know, I might do, God forbids, and do a wee series on.